From the 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories Storytelling Show This is Immigration Stories with Nestor Gomez Stories and conversations with immigrants, refugees, second, third generations, and allies where we explore the ideas, policies, and histories that forge national identity, community, and belonging in America. We are your hosts, Angel Ling and Nestor Gomez. President Franklin D. Roosevelt once said, Remember, remember always, that all of us, and you and I especially, are descended from immigrants and revolutionists. So what does the idea that America is a country of immigrants really mean? And for whom? We'll explore these questions in today's episode with New York City storyteller Robin Beatty. First, here's Robin's story as told on stage for 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories on February 16, 2019 at the Caveat in Manhattan. Well, I'm third, I'm not third, I'm second generation. I've been American. Uh, my grandparents were the ones who came here. On one side, they came from Romania. On the other side, they came from Russia. Now, my Romanian family, I know nothing about because they never talked about where they came from. When they got here, they were just so grateful to be here, to make a living, and to push ahead in their lives. They just did not want to talk about where they came from. But on my father's side of the family, the Russian side of the family, I had a great uncle, and I learned my immigration story, my family's immigration story, from his diary. And this goes back to 1904. So my dad's side of the family comes from a little town called Tolochkin, which is in Belarus, which used to be Russia, which used to be Poland, and which used to be God knows what, because it was in an area that was, you know, whoever was, you know, in charge, they just kept switching nationalities. They lived in the Pale of Settlement, which was the area where Jews were forced to live in Russia, Imperial Russia. They could not live or work outside this area. Now, we've all seen Fiddler on the Roof, you know, and it wasn't quite like that. People were poor. People were unhappy. People loved their families. People worked really hard. Work disappeared just like that. They were edicts against, earn, you know, working at a certain job, borrowing money, making money, collecting your money, sending money, having money, and, of course, there were the pogroms, which, interestingly enough, I read in my great-uncle's book. You know, I hear about pogroms, but rape, murder, burning down villages. And they would come every so often. It was state-sanctioned violence of a kind we Americans know nothing about. Or do we? Um, so, anyway... My great-uncle Harry wrote the book, and he was the kind of guy who liked to talk. And he liked to talk about what he believed, and he was a socialist and a Zionist, 
And sometimes after work, if he had work, and during the day if he didn't have work, he would just go to the town square and stand on a box and start talking about the importance of socialism, the importance of Zionism, and the importance, and this was really unusual, of Christians and Jews working together. We were Jews. Well, every so often the police would come and they'd pull him off and they'd beat him up. They'd kick him in the head, they'd kick him in the face. They'd break his nose, they'd try to break one of his ribs. Sometimes they left him alone. You never sort of knew, but he just kept going because he believed in this. He believed in the power of the word and the power of the connection. So one time when Great Uncle Harry, or Herschel, which was his Jewish name, when, you know, he went and he talked, no police. But when he got home, he saw his father being dragged out of the home and chains being put on him by the police chief. Well, Harry not only liked to talk, but he had a temper. So he went up to that police chief and he punched him in the face. And the police chief fell back, and then he punched him again and broke his nose, and he fell on the ground. And then he grabbed my grandfather, a great-grandfather, and he pulled him into the home, and he locked the door. And much as the police banged on the door, he wouldn't let them in. Well, then he had all of the, my, his siblings come. There were 10 in the family. My grandfather was, was the oldest. And they talked about what should happen now. Because now that he'd punched out the police chief, it was pretty obvious that it was dangerous for him to stay in town. And so they made a plan that night. And all the sisters and brothers brought everything that they could spare. The women brought jewelry. The men brought watches. Anyone who had money brought that, and they put it in a big bag. And then they decided that my grandfather should go with him. Because Harry, being such a hothead, he shouldn't go alone. The next morning, they set off. And they went to a man that was going to book them a passage, would get them past the border of Russia into Germany, and then get them over to where the boat was, where they would already have passage to sail to America. Because that was the dream for each one of them. All of these people in their town, in the Pale of Settlement, they wanted to go to America. They wanted to go where the land was paved with gold. So, Grandpa and Great Uncle Harry got this, got the, uh, handed over what it was, I think it was 110 rubles, which in today's money would be $1.66. He handed them over to them, and they got on, on a train. And I actually had to bring this because they, this went on for a long time. They got on a train and then they got on, um, in, they, when they got off the train, they got in three carts. There were three carts waiting at the train station, all filled with Jews. They got in they, and then they went to another town. And when they got out of the cart at the town, they went to an inn, they washed their faces, they ate a little bit of something, and then they got into another cart, and they were taken to another part of town. And then they got into another cart, and it was getting dark, and they were taken to the woods. And in the woods, they were told to lie down and be quiet. 
And that's where they stayed. Until some Christians came and told them to get up and walked them over to the border. And they walked past the guards. The Russian guards must have been paid off. But they didn't stop them. They went over across the border and they thought they were about they were free and they were ready to go and all the the guys and all I mean it was mostly men it was a caravan of them there were so many they just broke into song and most of them being rather political at this time 1900s if you were poor you were political if you were Jewish, you were political, unless you were religious. And most of these guys were not religious. They were just, they wanted to get out and they wanted to find a new world. Well, they broke into song and they sang their way until they got to an inn where they were given something to eat and then shown a barn where they were to sleep. And they slept in that barn for about five days and five nights. And then they got up again and they, they got on a horse um, and buggy and they were taken to another place, and they were taken to a train, and then they took the train to a place where they had to walk into a town, and the town was Hamburg. Big building. They went in. One by one, the doctors examined. There must have been at least 100 men. Examined each one of them, and then they were sent into the showers, and they had to take all their clothes off, and wash themselves while another doctor examined them. And then they, the ones who were examined and found fine were sent on their way to another building, and the rest of them were sent back. So my grandfather and my great-uncle went to the second building, and there they were to wait for the news that they were to sail. So they waited one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. And then my grandfather got up and said, what's going on here? How come we haven't, we haven't been given our boat yet? And that's when they found out that they'd been cheated, that their money had all been taken, and they couldn't get onto a boat to go to America. Well, they didn't know what to do, so they left outside, and both of them just burst into tears. And that's when, and I just love how it's written in this book, a very kind Christian gentleman came and said, what is, what's the matter? And when they explained, he goes, I'll take care of it. He gave them enough money for their passage as well as food. And the very next day, my grandfather and my great uncle sailed to America and when they got there, it took a long time to settle. There wasn't much work. There was still lots of anti-Semitism. It was still hard. But they sent whatever money they could back to repay their brothers and sisters and their father and mother. And then one by one, they brought them. Today you call it chain migration. Then they called it bringing the family. It was one after another after another. Brought all ten brothers, sisters, wives, husbands, children. And finally, my great-grandmother had passed away by then. They brought 
their father, Moshe. And that's how my family came to America. Here's Robin again in my interview at her home in Brooklyn, reflecting on how uncovering her family's history brought a deeper understanding of herself while finding gratitude and connection with those whom she shares a sense of life purpose. I had read my great-uncle's diary, and I, I was fascinated by it. This is the evidence of what happened and how they did it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I heard some versions that were a little more dramatic or a little less dramatic, but this was, I mean, this was somebody's diary. This great uncle Harry, he was, he was the most political, he was the most verbal, he was, though my grandfather was the oldest and in many ways the most respected, great uncle Harry was the one who seemed to keep everyone together from what I have learned mm-hmm. about them. So your great uncle was a political activist. Yeah. He would say what he believed. Right. Um, my family is full of people like that. Political, progressive people who annoy other people sometimes, <laughs> you know, by saying what they feel. I'm like that. Right. I'm definitely there, out there. I mean, I read this story and I thought, yes. That's where I come from. Yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> That's who I relate to. Me, you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I liked it. Yeah, because you're a storyteller. I'm a storyteller. I was a political activist when I was younger, and I'm as much of a political activist now in my work. Well, it's like I stand on the shoulders of the people who come before me, and it's really useful to know who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, that gives it much more solid My mother's side of the family is where all the creativity and the crazy and the excitement comes from. But there's another side, and it's my father's side, which is very grounded and also intellectual, but also progressive. And I I didn't know much about that. I just knew that they were there and they were grounded and they were... There was something about them that was... I don't know. I only know how to do it in a gesture, you know, present, Mm -hmm. you know, very, very present. And it's how I feel often. And though I definitely incorporate the other stuff from my other side, this is something that just seems very rooted. I think that's what the word I'm looking for. It makes me feel rooted so that what I do comes not just from my self but comes from a tradition Mm -hmm. and I like knowing what the tradition is right so it's kind of (laughs) cool to think that that's who we are right right Um, and that's I think I didn't know that about the family um that side of the family so it's it's comforting and it gives me even more of a sense of purpose Let's talk about this Christians and Jews working together. That was something that you... Like, I think you mentioned it twice, actually. Three times. Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, 
Jews have, you know, I don't know, I think of anti-Semitism as the, the prejudice that hides right under the bushes. It's right there, but we think it's not there, but it's always there, at least nowadays. I mean, now it's coming back up in full form. Mm-hmm. And now we see, yeah, there are all lots of anti-Semites that are coming right out, marching down the street, calling for an end to Jews. And But when I was growing up, you know, that really, I didn't have much of that experience until later. Um, and But it, where my grandparents, you know, in my, my great uncle and my, you know, all of my family was growing up in Russia. There were pogroms, they, you know, Jew hatred was normal. So for someone to advocate for Jews and Christians to join together to say that they had something in common, that their goals were common, that what they wanted was common, and, you know, as a socialist, that their, that their efforts needed to be joined together so that they'd all get what they wanted was unusual. And startling and threatening. Mm-hmm. So I, I just thought it was quite remarkable that he did that. Right. And then all along the way, they were helped by Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, so, which reminds me of Jews who were helped during the Holocaust, you know, hidden away by people who wanted to make sure they were okay or get them to the next safe space. Um, but I was very taken by the way my great uncle put it. It was, it was as if he was saying it with great love mm. for the people he saw, not as a different religion, but as a hu- fellow human being. You know, for most of my life, I've I felt that. I've. It's only when I'm confronted with either anti-Semitism or hatred or racism that I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, out with other people, but I believe that's what I was, you know, how I was brought up to the best of my ability, that we're all the same. Uh, we live in an interesting time, mm-hmm. and it's a time that very much reminds me of what it was like for my, you know, grandparents and great-grandparents, etc. But I just love that. A kindly Christian gentleman helped me up and talked me on the way. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's the way it should be. And that's what our, we're, we need to be here to help each other mm-hmm. is the second part of the, you know, the second part of the uh, equation. It's like, here's you, here's me. We help each other and that's how it should be. And that's how we hope it will be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting, you know, I I don't usually focus a lot on my Jewish heritage. It's just something that's a given and it's part of my everyday life. But looking at that story has made me think a lot about the discrimination my family faced um, that I don't face in the same way. Right. And And the discrimination other people face now. Mm-hmm. It's horrifying. Robin continues with how her family was united under the shelter of America through a process of what we now call chain migration. 
and finishes off our conversation on how America's embrace and shelter of each other is the right path forward. They brought each family member over, one after another. You know, if they were my grandfather and and my grandmother and my I had an aunt born in Russia and you know my and Harry brought over his woman he wasn't even betrothed to but they were in love and they were going to get married and and there's a movie called Avalon where they talk about where that is exactly what's happening they sh- they they show the family you know it's they're in this country and then one by one they come to the country and then they have also a big family meet gathering. I love that, that picture, because it reminded me of my family. Because the needs of people are the same. Right. They want to be safe. They want their children to be safe. They want their parents to be safe. They want their families to be safe. Mm -hmm. They want to provide. They want to make a living. If you were living in a place that was hard, Mm -hmm. and you thought some place would be easier... I mean, really hard. The kind of hard I can't even imagine. Yeah. You know, the kind of hard that people coming from, you know, Latin America, you know, the Central American countries are where there's violence against them and they're terrified and where people are killed indiscriminately or people are shot or girls are raped. Wouldn't you want to get out of there? Mm-hmm. Later on in the diary, I read an incident where my great uncle's I mean, he just says it. I read with great sadness. My cousin so-and-so has written me about a pogrom that did not reach our village, but but all the villages around were burned down. Everybody lost everything they had. Many men and women were killed. People were run down in the street. You know, they just take their carriages and their horses and run Jews down. I mean, why the hell wouldn't you want to get out of there? I mean, I think about it. And as far as they knew, it wasn't happening in America. That was not the reports being sent back. Right. You know? But they knew what they had, and they knew what they had to leave. One place I'm working with Chinese seniors, and some of them have talked about um, the Cultural Revolution and now being here. And I'm working with Russian Jewish seniors who talk about, um, and from Turkey, talk about being, same thing, run down by horses and carriages because they were Jewish. It's it's really all the same. Mm -hmm. But the horrors we, and why we want to be in a country for whatever the problems we're having now has promised more than most countries have promised. Mm-hmm. I guess. I believe. that That is like a good note to end on, right? right. <laughs> In a way, because all things, can we say this, all things said and done, there is still this promise in America yeah. that I think so much of it is still true. Yeah. We're just at a very bumpy place. Right. There's a right side of history that's still possible. Mm-hmm. Bends toward justice. Hopefully, what makes America a truly, or will continue to make America a growing country, mm-hmm. possibly a great one, mm-hmm. 
I don't know how you make America great again, but I guess it's by listening. It's not by pushing, it's by listening and honoring Mm -hmm. and embracing and wrapping your heart and your soul and all that good stuff around those who are both here and who are coming. Right. I mean, I think about it. What if the door had been shut? You know? What would if the door had been shut and they couldn't come? Would they have died in the in the next pogrom? Who knows? That was Brooklyn-based storyteller Robin Beatty. Robin is an award-winning New York-based storyteller, and is the creator and curator of "No, We Won't Shut Up," featuring diverse female voices speaking out. Robin is currently touring with her solo show, Nancy Drowinski and the Search for the Missing Letter, on anti-Semitism and the Red Scare. You can see and hear Robin nearly every month in Brooklyn, New York, hosting the Beatty House Storytelling Concert at her Brooklyn home. Here's Nestor and I on Robin's story. I love the way her story connects to things that are happening now, that are news, current news. Mm. When she spoke about caravans, immediately my mind is like, yep, all the caravans that are trying to come from Central America. And you could hear on the news all about it, uh, how people are uh, criminalizing and saying so many bad things about it. But it's not something that is happening now. It's something that's been happening for many, many years. Yeah, I felt the same too that, right, she really tried to draw this parallel between what was happening to her and her family and the discrimination and prejudice and drawing that parallel with what's happening now in America. Yes, and especially how she, she she's a descendant of immigrants, she is also aware of that was something that her generations before her went through um sadly there's a lot of people that are forgetting or they just don't want to focus on that part of their history and they don't realize that other people now are going through things that their ancestors went through let's talk about chain migration i love that she um you know just kind of reframed it's really about families right it's about you know just people being here and then missing their families it's about finding a place you know or making home here and then thinking oh i i want to bring my family over because i want them to be safe also yeah the idea of chain migration is uh, it's another way to take away the humanity of people because it's family reunification that's mm-hmm. what it is. Families get divided because of immigration. Is it because the parents will come here and leave the kids in the native country or because uh, either the husband leaves or the wife leaves? And what people are trying to do is put the families back together. Who doesn't want to be with their own family? Mm-hmm. It's just a natural human desire, need to be together with your family. Another thing that I really appreciate about her story is about um, the idea that we are together in this struggle. 
uh, because I know we are different communities. You know, there's the Latino community, there's the Asian community, there's the black community, there's the, there's the LGBT community. We all suffer to a certain degree the same kind of discriminations and the same kind of problems. If we could understand that, if we could get together, like she was referring on her story about the Christians and the Jews getting together to try to work things together and try, trying to make things better, trying to reach common goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that is something amazing about her story. I and mean, so it's an ideal. She said at the end, I love this, uh, at the end of the interview, she said, one way to make America great again is by listening, honoring, and embracing for me, you know, when she said this during our interview, I was like, yeah, this is what we're doing. The storytelling stuff. My story, your story, her story, and, you know, the work of 80 Minutes Around the World is so that we can listen to mm-hmm. other people's stories. Like, her story was actually reminding me of some of the parts of my own immigration story, like the hiding part. Like they're trying to get here, they're trying to get the family reunited. That's what my family did as well. So although her story has nothing to do with my story, there are things that are common, things that are can totally relate to her story. And through her story, I live her experience, and my experience becomes her experiences to to, to a certain degree. We build this bridge across time and across land. Yes, mm. through storytelling. Immigration Stories with Nestor Gomez is a production of 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories. More information on 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories can be found on our website, NestorGomezStoryteller.com, and the show's Facebook page. Please contact us if you have a story you want to share or would like to invite the show to your city or organization near you. Immigration Stories podcast is created, produced, edited by Nestor Gomez and Angel Link. Thank you for listening. Please remember to like and share. <laughs>